1: And you're here. Thanks for choosing the iHeartRadio and Coast to Coast AM Paranormal Podcast Network. Your quest for podcasts of the paranormal, supernatural, and the unexplained ends here. We invite you to enjoy all our shows we have on this network. And right now, let's start with Strange Things with Joshua P. Warren.
2: The Wizard of Weird, this is Strange Things with
3: Joshua P. Warren. I am Joshua P. Warren, and each week on this show, I'll be bringing you brand new, mind-blowing content, news, exercises, and weird experiments you can do at home, and a lot more on this edition of the show. Our Weird Moon and Other Strange Tales. After I update you on what's happening with the moon, I am going to circle back around and (laughs) finally fulfill some of these stories I have promised you in previous podcasts. I, I get carried away, you know, I'll be doing a show and I'll be... Focusing on a topic and it will, it will like remind me of a story and then I'll say, uh, but I'll, I'll save that and tell you about that on a future podcast. People remember that and they remind me of it. And so <laughs> I've been writing it down and I'm going to go back and I'm going to finally try to complete some of these stories that I've teased. For example, like the time that I met the vampires in New Orleans. That's coming up soon. But, okay, let's get to this moon stuff. The moon has fascinated me my entire life. And there is something strange about the moon that is, well, more than meets the eye. You know, my good friend, the late, great Jim Mars, he wrote a book called Alien Agenda. And he talked about all of these bizarre characteristics of the moon. That the moon seems to be somewhat hollow that when a meteor hits it, it rings like a bell, like a metallic bell. And he also said that um, there were uh, there were vapors, you know, water vapors and such on the moon. And people said, oh, that's a bunch of baloney. Well, guess what? It's true. They actually have figured out now that there is a slight atmosphere on the moon and there are some water vapors. And a lot of the things that Jim Mars wrote about back in the early 90s uh, are now considered true. But I was even more amazed by something that really hit home for me very personally. You know, when I was a teenager, I met a man named Charles, a Yost who became sort of a mentor to me. Uh, He was a NASA hall of fame engineer and he, well, he'd retired from NASA and he had his own laboratory in Western North Carolina. And I met him through my science teacher. She said, I have a, uh, a, a student here that I think, you know, you, you need to meet. And so I started working as his lab assistant and did that for many, many years into my adulthood. And uh, Charles Yost was a very practical scientist, but he also had an open mind and he was really into UFOs. He was convinced that there was something to the UFO phenomenon. And he was one of the people who worked directly on the Apollo project the one that sent men to the moon. Uh, And he was an engineer who helped design that spacecraft. So one day I just had to ask him, I was a little hesitant, but I said, so do you think that like the whole story about how we went to the moon is exactly as it was presented? And he paused a really long time. And he, and then he said, well, I have two things. He says, number one, it was such a complex operation, it seems miraculous that everything just went right. He said, "He said things never go right when you're working on something that complicated. And he said, everything went right. He said, "We." I always thought that was kind of, you know, suspicious. And, and, but then he said, well, let, and also let me show you this. And he took me into his office and we sat down and he showed me some video footage. And here you see on one of the earlier Apollo missions, they, they were flying over the surface of the moon. And you can see, of course, the lunar landscape moving below as they're moving across it. And then there is this little object. It looks kind of, kind of like a black hair sticking up out of the surface of the moon. And then right as the craft is about to pass over it, something that looks like a little puff of smoke comes out of it and drifts a second to the right. And then the, the footage ends. And he said at the height they were flying to scale, that thing would be like, I think he said like a thousand feet tall. So what looks like a smokestack coming out of the moon, uh, re- ejecting a puff of, of smoke or some kind of vapor is captured on this official NASA footage. And he, uh, published it in his science journal and gave me permission to be the first person to put it on the internet. If you go right now to my website, com, there's no period after the P. You will see a, a menu there that says gallery of the strange. And if you click that menu, then it opens up all these really fascinating subcategories. And one of them says simply enough, a smokestack on the moon with question marks and uh, you can look at this footage for yourself and you tell me what you think it is. I mean, I won't go into the whole big, long story on that because all the information is on that webpage and you just need to look at it and decide for yourself what the heck this is. I went on coast to coast AM and talked about this and oh boy, did that cause a controversy. Almost immediately, I started being followed around by men in black type figures for almost a year. My phone was tapped. I was being attacked 24-7 on the internet by people who were obviously trained to debunk anything that I even suggested about an anomaly on the moon. It was, it was amazing. And so, uh, look to this day, I still can't explain what this thing is coming out of the surface of the moon. And if you go to that webpage, you'll see the arguments for and against. Again, go to JoshuaPWarren.com, click the menu heading that says Gallery of the Strange, and you'll see there where it says, you know, a smokestack on the moon. And you just look at this for yourself and tell me what you think. So now that we're going back to the moon with the Artemis program, uh, we're going to be subjected to even more data and more revelations. And so just recently, there was a, a story that broke in the mainstream news, a scientific revelation about the moon. And uh, I sent this out through my free e-newsletter. This is one of the reasons you have to subscribe to my free e-newsletter because I just blasted this immediately as soon as I saw it. Uh, the moon has a tail that shoots a beam toward Earth. Now, we have been studying the moon since the dawn of time, right? It's it's a, it's so weird because it's a, th- th- this big, obvious, you know, sort of blazing light in the night sky. And yet, we know so little about it, really. And therefore, uh, it's surprising when you have news of this magnitude about the moon. All this time, there has been a beam shooting from the moon toward the earth, but we have not been able to see it with our naked eyes. We are now seeing it because we have very special technology uh, cameras that are sensitive to the this range of light. And long story short, uh, and and you can go and look this up for yourself. As a matter of fact, the, the scientific uh, journal is right here in front of me. Uh, and, of course, we're talking about, um, I can name off all the scientists, but you can look this up for yourself. Just look up, you know, do a search for the moon has a tail, and you'll bring up all kinds of, of sources. But they say once a month at the time of the new moon, a small diffuse spot of light appears in the sky opposite the sun. And I don't want to read this whole thing to you, but basically what they're saying is that, when especially when the the moon becomes a new moon meaning that you can't see it you know it's it's dark it's a new moon because the moon is between earth and the sun and so the opposite side of the moon is being blasted by the sun and so there is apparently a great deal of sodium on the surface of the moon and so when the moon is new in particular, it is, the sun is blasting all of this sodium to earth. And it literally looks like the tail of a comet coming from the moon into this powerful ray of sodium hitting planet earth. And to some degree, it happens, you know, all the time, but it's when the moon is new is when it's happening most prominently. And this is amazing to me because, okay, obviously, sodium is a component uh, in salt. And when you add salt to water, it becomes more electrically conductive. And so our atmosphere is made of primarily uh, water in various stages, right? And so that means when a beam of sodium is shooting toward Earth, that maybe the Earth's atmosphere is more conductive around the new moon. So if that is the case, does that mean there is more paranormal activity possible around a new moon? Because you always hear about electricity and electromagnetism being connected to the paranormal well when we come back from this break i'm gonna tell you what i have discovered about the relationship between the new moon and paranormal activity since this news came out okay here's what i've learned that's coming up in just a moment and then so much more like i say There are things that I just don't talk about on this podcast. There's too much to talk about. If you want breaking news, go to JoshuaPWarren.com. Take two seconds. Sign up for my free e-newsletter, and you will instantly receive some really cool gifts that are emailed to you. And it's spam-free, okay? I write it with my own fingers. It's free and spam free Follow me on Twitter and sign up for my newsletter there at joshuapwarren.com. This is going to be a good one, folks. I am Joshua P. Warren. You're listening to Strange Things on the iHeartRadio and Coast to Coast AM Paranormal Podcast Network. And I will be right back.
4: This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. With BetterHelp, visit BetterHelp.com/strange things today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, hel slash strange things.
3: Coast to Coast AM Paranormal Podcast Network. I am your host, the Wizard of Weird, beaming into your wormhole brain from my studio in Sin City, Las Vegas, Nevada, where every day is golden and every night is silver. Hey, did you hear the audio that NASA released of the new Mars rover on the surface of Mars? You know, I, I am really following this rover closely because I got the honor of seeing this rover called Perseverance here on Earth at the Jet Propulsion Laboratory, seeing it in person, thanks to my friend, Mr. Corby Waste, who works for JPL. And uh, I got to see this thing with my own eyes, and now it's up there on Mars, roving around. And it's gathering data that may prove that there was once life on Mars and maybe there even still is. But, uh, anyway, NASA released some, just some audio of what this thing sounds like as it's rolling around the surface of Mars. It's, I mean, it's, it's kind of interesting. Here, listen to some of it. sounds like a a creaky old wheelbarrow doesn't it a 2.2 billion (laughs) dollar wheelbarrow wheelbarrow you know i believe that um this rover is the most expensive machine of its size ever made in all of human history I, i believe the most expensive machine is the hadron collider but that thing is enormous it goes on for miles and miles this rover i mean it's maybe the size of like two or three golf carts and 2.2 billion dollars so that's why that everybody was holding their breath at nasa at jpl when, when that thing came down and now it's working just great so let's hope they find some amazing stuff up there Uh, Okay, back to the moon. So, when we have a new moon, the sun is blasting the side of the moon that is away from us. And it is therefore blasting all of this sodium toward us. And, again, that should make part of our atmosphere more conductive. Which might, and that electrical activity may enhance paranormal phenomena, ghostly stuff, UFOs, interdimensional beings, psychic experiences, all that stuff. That's just a theory. But now, when I first mentioned this, um, there were people who go, wait a second. I thought salt's supposed to stop paranormal activity. It's supposed to, um, you know, to cleanse an area. Well, here's my response to that. You have to understand something. Salt is a crystal and a crystal definitely will alter the electromagnetic and electrostatic environment of a space. So if you have a space where paranormal stuff is already happening, then introducing salt crystals to that space might change the electromagnetic environment enough so that it's out of sync and the activity stops, but it's never guaranteed. It's just something you can, you can play with. But also you're talking about salt and sodium is just one part of salt. Sodium is, is a metal actually. So you're putting all this metal into the atmosphere on the new moon. So I ask people in the newsletter, go back and let's see if, um, if you have had a paranormal experience and where you're like, I remember the day, I remember the time. And let's see if it was around the time of the new moon. So the first thing I did was I went back and I looked at some of my experiences and I was like, oh, my God, no kidding. This, I mean, this is unbelievable to me. I went back to February 23rd of 2009 when I saw this major V-shaped UFO fly over Laughlin, Nevada. You've heard me tell this story before. Guess what? That was a new moon. I went back and looked at May 22nd of 2012 when I was at Hunyad castle in Romania, one of the places where Vlad the impaler was kept. And, um, uh, we had all kinds of ghostly stuff happen that night. That was just two days after the new moon. So it was right within that little window around the new moon on a- this is, this is a, a weird spin on April 25th of 2013, when Homeland Security at the airport in Aguadilla, Puerto Rico, captured those UFOs flying around the airport and then finally disappearing into the ocean. That was on a full moon, but a lunar eclipse. So that doesn't really apply directly to this, but I, but that, I was just like, huh. That's weird. That was on a lunar eclipse when that footage was captured. I'd never noticed that before. And then I got this message from a listener, Heather. And she wrote, whoa. She goes, my husband and I were watching the Lyrid meteor shower about 3 a.m. on April 23rd of last year. Okay. This is 2020. She says, we live on the outskirts of a tiny town on the border of Washington and Idaho She says, uh, we were calling out to each other. Oh, there's one. There's one. You know how it goes. And she said, then we saw a light that stopped dead. Then it shot up, then straight down, then back up and then zipped off into space. Again, the pattern looked a bit like a backwards heartbeat off of an EKG machine. My husband and I both said that was no meteor. (laughs) That was on a new moon. Uh, She says, you can bet I'm going to be out there this year with my goggles from Mobius and you. They arrive on Monday. Yeah, she got some of the paratemporal night vision goggles. You'll find those if you uh, go to my curiosity shop. They're the only type of night vision goggles that I use for paranormal research. You'll see why. Uh, Thank you, Heather. So look, look I'm telling you, there's something to this new moon phenomenon. So I want you to go back and. And look at things you've experienced. Let me know if it happened to you on a new moon. And also, going forward, plan to do some paranormal investigations on a new moon. And let's see if you have more activity. This moon stuff, I I love the fact that it shows us that the universe is even more connected than we thought it was. That, yes, you see the moon up there, but there is actual stuff from the moon that's just shooting down here and connecting us in a very tangible specific way. And the longer we we go on uh, researching the world, the more we are going to find that these connections exist. You know, my friend Dean Worsing, he sent me a fascinating uh, little clip from a researcher who is associated with uh, PEAR Institute, P-E-A-R. Do you know what that is? Uh, PEAR is an acronym for the Princeton Engineering Anomalies Research Lab, and they do all kinds of parapsychology experiments. And this researcher was saying, we did an experiment where we took a plant and we put it in an empty square room, and we put that plant in one corner of the room. The only thing in that room was that plant except for a light source that we had on the center of the ceiling. And this light source was hooked to a random event generator so that it would just move erratically all over the room. And what we found is that the plant was thriving because somehow, Much more often than it should have statistically, this light was moving over and shining toward the plant and keeping the plant nourished. So the implication was that somehow this plant needed that light and something about that plant's need for that light was able to affect that random event generator in order to make that light shine on that plant and keep it alive. Isn't that amazing? Don't you love stuff like that? You can look it up. These are real scientists with PhDs telling you this sort of thing. It shows you that we are all connected on so many levels that we can't always see right now. This new thing with the moon. Oh, now we can see it. They have great pictures of this. I posted them on my Twitter account at Joshua P. Warren. And so now we see it. Oh, we get it. We believe it. That That is how... <laughs> That is how I don't I don't want to say the word uh no look look that's how we are as humans. Alright. We we have to see things to believe it because we're just not always as imaginative as we should be. The moon is a very, very powerful thing. You know, that's why we talk about werewolves coming out around the full moon. And did you know that sometimes werewolves, when you kill them, they say They come back as vampires. Well, I have a vampire story. This is something that happened to me a long time ago, and I've never told it. I've alluded to it. I've never told it on this show. When we come back from this break, I'm going to tell you what happened to me personally when I went down to New Orleans as a very naive young man. I wasn't even 21. I'm Joshua P. Warren. You're listening to Strange Things on the iHeartRadio and Coast to Coast AM Paranormal Podcast Network. And I will be right back.
1: Thank <laughs>
3: Welcome back to Strange Things on the iHeartRadio and Coast to Coast AM Paranormal Podcast Network. I am your host, Joshua P. Warren, and this is the show where the unusual becomes usual. We all know you can kill a vampire by staking it through the heart with a wooden stake or You expose the vampire to sunlight, and he or she bursts into flames. Did you know that you can also apparently kill a vampire if you just throw down a handful of bird seeds or something similar? Now, you might go, what? That I've never heard that before. Why? Well, here's why. Supposedly, vampires are very OCD, and they have to count everything. Which is, I guess, where the idea of the count from Sesame Street came in. It just all it all worked beautifully for <laughs> for a Sesame Street character. And um, so the vampire is like, "Oh, I want to attack you, but I have to stop and count all these seeds, and it's going to take the vampire forever to do that." And so the idea is that he cannot do it before the sun comes up, and so you're still killing him with the sun, but you're just. Um, creating that scenario for him with the seeds. <laughs> I don't know, man. I'm not telling you I believe all that. It's just, you know, that's the lore. That's the folklore. And uh you know, when I went to Transylvania and I was studying vampires there, and of course I'm talking about Transylvania in Romania, not Transylvania County, North Carolina, where <laughs> that's where I'm from, with the western part of the state, even though they also have their stories. But no, the real Transylvania uh they call the the what we would call vampires strigoi, and there is this idea that they don't like reflective things especially silver and so you know it goes back to the whole connection between werewolves and killing a werewolf with a silver bullet and so that's one of the reasons that a vampire does not have a reflection because a lot of um A lot of mirrors, a lot of the old mirrors, uh, had some kind of a, a, you know, either an actual silver backing or certainly a silvery backing. And so it almost symbolizes how they would withdraw from that. And what's really interesting is that you may or may not realize that silver actually does have um, antibiotic characteristics. Uh, For example, in the old days, if like a horse got a wound, they would put a silver coin in there and kind of like patch it up and that would help it heal or you could put a silver coin in a bottle of wine or something to keep it fresh longer Uh, and so that's why a lot of people take colloidal silver these days as some kind of a health supplement and uh, you have to be careful however if you take too much of it you will turn as blue as a smurf i met a man one time who had done this, but he was drinking like a bathtub load of this stuff every day. And I'm telling you, he looked like Papa Smurf. It's not a joke. If you just, if you haven't seen this, get online and look up blue people who drink too much colloidal silver. Okay. But I've always thought, you know, there's always some truth to legend. And so if you thought sickness was, created by evil spirits and silver would cure that, well, maybe you'd be like, okay, well, silver works against vampires. That's how I'm always looking for the nuggets of truth. But here is my story, all right? This was in 1995 or 1996. And at that point, I I was not even 21 years old, but I had always wanted to go to New Orleans, and I was told you need to go there and explore the, the mystical you know, atmosphere and, and they'll let you drink a beer. (laughs) They don't cart. So I was like, fine. I I was not a big drinker, but you know, it just seemed like another cool thing. So I hooked up with a friend of mine who lived in a different state. I don't, I'm not going to use his real name here. So I will call him Tim. And so Tim and I each flew to new Orleans And we had a wild adventure there. We got into all kinds of mischief. And, uh, yeah, sure enough, you could walk up and order a beer and, you know, no questions asked. I wasn't really a big drinker though. I mean, like I was more of the responsible one. He was drinking quite a bit and really making merry himself. And also he, you know, he told me at one point the streets were packed. This was around, uh, it wasn't Mardi Gras, but it was, I guess it was around St. Patrick's day. And he goes, uh, I, hell, I guess this was like the day before or the day after, because we were there for St. Patrick's. Anyway, he said, uh, you know what would make this a uh, perfect trip? I said, what's that? He goes, some weed. Now, I wasn't into weed, but he was like really into weed. So he goes, I got to find some weed in this town. I figure, well, that's probably not too too hard. You have to remember, kids, if you're listening to this, Back in those days, weed was illegal, okay? You would go to jail if you got caught with marijuana. Now, you know, <laughs> it's legal all over the place. You would never believe it. Here I am broadcasting to you from Las Vegas, Nevada, and, uh, you know, there are billboards for weed, and you walk into the weed shop like you're going to McDonald's and, you know, walk out. It's just no big deal. But back in those days, uh, you you didn't want to get in, in trouble with that. He wanted some weed, so he started asking everybody in New Orleans, how do I find some weed? And I was not comfortable with this, but anyway. Finally, this guy said, oh, man, dude, if you want weed, you have to go talk to the vampires. Now, this was probably, you know, like 9 or 10 o'clock at night, and we'd already had a very action-packed day. And... uh Tim goes, what do you mean, the vampires? He goes, yeah, yeah, they hang out down next to the river, down next to the Mississippi River. Just look for the bonfire and you'll find them, but oh, you might not want to go down there. You know, He, he kind of like was all sort of wishy-washy about it, but Tim was like, let's go, man. So we walked and we walked and we walked, and we got down toward the Mississippi River, which is so giant you can't even see across it. By the time we we're getting down there, I'm telling you, like, this is like 11 o'clock to midnight. And you could, it got more and more quiet. You know, you could hear the party of like Bourbon Street way off in the distance. And it was getting really scary because we got into this park. And this was the outer crust. This was the fringe of New Orleans. And I saw people there, uh, I I try to keep this podcast kind of family friendly. So let me just say, I saw like naked people doing bizarre things and Tim and I were just like, what? So I was ready to like turn around and say, maybe this is not for us, but he was determined to have that weed. And sure enough, up ahead, we saw this bonfire. Oh, there they are. The vampires. So as we got closer and closer to this bonfire, and Tim was the same age I was, by the way. Um, we could see the silhouettes of, I would say, at least 30 people gathered around this bonfire right on the river. And as we got even closer, we could see they were wearing kind of like outfits a little bit, like, you know, coats and cloaks and, you know, all black, you know, very, very gothy looking stuff. And so we, we, we've, it was like, there was no question. Okay. We found them. So we were walking closer and closer and you could smell. It's like suddenly hit us like a wall. Just boom. This wall of marijuana, uh, this aroma of marijuana. We're like, oh yeah, we're at the right place. And so we, we walked maybe like another, I don't know, like another hundred feet and right. When we reached a certain point, something happened that I will never forget till the day I die. It was like that we crossed some kind of boundary and all these people who were just kind of like doing their own thing. I don't know what they were doing around this bonfire. All of a sudden, it was like time stopped and every single person's head snapped Instantaneously, into our direction, and every single person had glowing yellow eyes. Now I just got a goosebump, got goosebumps remembering this. Okay, I'm I'm not kidding you. Imagine 30, 40 people, dark silhouettes, and you're just moseying on up there, ha ha ha, and then. Boom! all their heads yeah with the glowing eyes instantly it like stopped me in my tracks and I got a really bad feeling it was like ice water down my back and Tim goes oh cool these are definitely the vampires so he keeps going and I'm kind of holding back a little bit (laughs) (laughs) okay again I'm getting a bad feeling about this so we get closer and closer and it's like you know it's one of those deals where it's total silence and everybody's looking at us like who are these insane you know naive people who are coming into this domain Again, there are a lot of, I could, I could use a lot of derogatory terms and like cuss words and stuff in this story, but I'm keeping it as clean as I can. So whenever there's a group of vampires, there's always like the, the big vampire dude. And you can see him from a mile away. I'm not saying there is not like a vampire lady or a vampire queen, but you can always see the vampire dude. He's got the, he's the one with the long black hair and he's like, you so we go straight for the main vampire dude. And of course he's got fangs and he does not look happy at all. When we come back from this break I'll tell you what happened next. And why I might be fortunate that I'm here to tell you this tale. I'm Joshua P. Warren. You're listening to Strange Things on the iHeartRadio and Coast to Coast AM Paranormal Podcast Network. I'll be right back after this. Welcome back to the final segment of this edition of Strange Things on the iHeartRadio and Coast to Coast AM Paranormal Podcast Network. I am your host, Joshua P. Warren. And Tim said to the head vampire guy, Hey, uh, I just want to buy some weed, man. And the head vampire guy was not the least bit friendly and he kind of growled and said we don't have any blanking weed at that point I was thinking like okay well thank you very much Uh, appreciate everything Uh, we'll just mosey on down Tim said Oh, come on, dude. I can smell the weed. Uh, at this point, I'm thinking, all right. I think I just need to turn around and, uh, like, get out of here. And I will hear this feeding frenzy behind me as I race for my life. And the vampire guy, like, becomes even more tense and his crowd starts drawing in a little bit more. And the vampire says, I told you, we don't have any blinking weed. And at that point, I think even Tim got it. Because everybody started drawing in closer. And that is when. We were both like, all right, thank you very much. And we kind of backed away. And then if it weren't so humid, you could have seen dust clouds behind our heels as we breathlessly raced out of there and made it back toward that warm, welcoming party music in the distance. We got out of there unscathed. And about an hour later. Uh, Tim went into a uh, a bar. We went in together, and he met a girl who had a whole backpack full of weed, and he was very happy. <laughs> and he lived happily ever after. <laughs> so I guess the point of that story is I saw some people who were known as vampires. And they were at the right place at the right time. Um, I am presuming they all had some kind of contact lenses or something, because I don't think that there's any other way to explain how they all had glowing eyes. But if you ask me, were those real vampires? I mean, yeah, I think like whatever a vampire is like to some degree, if, if people start believing I'm a vampire and they start drinking blood then they start changing their energy field and they start changing their behaviors and they become, they they kind of shapeshift a little bit into a different type of thing. That doesn't mean that they can go poof and fly around as a bat or or turn into a wolf or a mist or something. But, uh, I, I think that's about as close as you're ever going to come to, uh, to a group of vampires. And hopefully my telling of that story has not ticked off any vampires. If so, I apologize. So that's my uh, story about my run in with what may have been, you know, the closest thing I'll come into contact with, uh, (laughs) being real new Orleans vampires. Okay. Let's move on to some, uh, to some stories that I have received. Oh, okay. Here's another one that I wanted to follow up on a little bit. I have a friend named Randy who had told me that, uh, his friend had recently died, and then right after that, um, his smoke detector was going off for a while, even though the batteries didn't need to be changed. And he was wondering if that could be evidence that when a spirit is around, that it's draining the batteries in order to try to communicate. And, you know, what's interesting is that uh that is a well-known phenomenon. When you go to haunted houses and you have cameras and audio recorders, then all of a sudden your batteries just get drained. It happens all the time. And so that definitely could be an indication that a spirit is trying to take energy from one place, the batteries, and then use it in another way to materialize. Well, I went to a very haunted house one time called the Smith McDowell House, and I did an interesting experiment. I took two brand new identical 9-volt batteries and two brand new identical fans that were powered by those batteries. And I turned them both on at the same exact time. And, um, but I put, I put one at the haunted house with a video camera on it. And then I put one at my house, which was like 10 miles away as a control. And I was amazed by how precisely the two fans both stopped running at the exact same moment and i say that because for one thing uh i mean that shows you how calculated the manufacturing is but also that you know the smith mcdowell house is a place where people's batteries would drain all the time but in my experiment i didn't see any difference between batteries draining at my house versus at uh, the smith mcdowell house so what i can tell you is that i don't think the haunted places are always drain batteries. If so, that would be a pretty easy test to do to find certain places that do that all the time. I think that the batteries do get drained when something is around that's draining them. So yeah, if a spirit enters and wants to tap in or that's just one theory, but there's something about the presence of a spirit that I believe can take battery power out of a, a location. And if you're interested in the subject, I'd like for you to reproduce something along the lines of my experiment where you take two identical, you know, fans or something similar drawing power and uh, two batteries that are identical and you just see if you can find a location on planet Earth where where they tend to drain faster on a regular basis. That would be a really interesting experience uh, and, and uh, experiment. Mm-hmm. Okay, Crystal from California, she wants to share with everybody that um, she found that uh, when she is experimenting with her PK will, that's her like, you know, psychokinesis or telekinesis will, if you don't know how to make one of those, it's really simple, you can do it in five minutes with stuff you have in your house to practice PK, I talked all about it in episode three of this podcast go back and listen to episode three. She wasn't having a lot of success getting her will to move. And then she said that she started sitting there and using haponopono. Ho, I'm sorry. Please forgive me. Thank you. I love you. I'm sorry. Please forgive me. Thank you. I love you. And guess what? That broke some kind of barrier and she started to move the will more using pono. So try that out if you're experimenting with PK wheels and TK wheels and let's see what happens to you. Uh, I got a, an email from a man named Robert and he said, basically, can a cat become possessed by another cat? And I, and, and I said, well, I mean, I guess. What, what, what else can you tell me? And he said that He has three cats, and that two of them are females that have been spayed, and one is a non-neutered male. And they all hang out together in the house perfectly fine. They're friends, he said. But he takes them outside to the yard at least once a day so they can get some exercise and fresh air. And he said that there's this one spot in the yard where all of a sudden, like, the male cat just there's, it's like a switch is flipped and he just starts attacking the female cats and they have to like beat him off of them. And as soon as they get these cats back inside, everything's cool again. And he said that that neighborhood is kind of, I guess, infamous, notorious for some uh, stray cats that cause problems. And he said, What do you think? Well, look, I told my wife, Lauren, about this. She's an amateur animal expert and she said maybe there's something in the yard that's you know irritating the cat or whatever but i I don't know he's going to send me more information but what i can tell you is that look living things are living things we all have a spirit if you take a human and a cat and you look at us under a microscope it's not that different we're all kind of made of the same stuff and so you know i think it's possible that a cat might be possessed by another cat Does that sound crazy? Oh well. Wouldn't be the first time I've been accused of that. So I will, uh, (laughs) I'll, I'll get back to you with more updates. Okay, folks, take a deep breath. Relax. If you can close your eyes, you know what's coming now, don't you? The good fortune tone. It's 20 seconds. You need this. Here it is. That's it for this edition of the show. Follow me on Twitter at Joshua P. Warren. Plus, visit com to sign up for my free e newsletter to receive a free instant gift and check out the cool stuff in the Curiosity Shop, all at com. I have a fun one lined up for you next time, I promise. So please tell all your friends to subscribe to this show